0: I said, is everybody happy tonight? Yeah. How many of you love the Word of God? Yeah. Well, I do, and I'm excited about the series that we're beginning tonight. How many of you in here have never been through a series on Jude? Is there anybody here who has? Praise God, I'm hearing God, because was there one? You've been through a series on Jude? No. We're going we're gonna to learn the book of Jude tonight. You know I'm going to tell y'all something. I I as as a pastor, as your pastor, I know that the more we know the word of God, the greater the edge we have in spiritual warfare. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It doesn't come by figuring a way out of a problem. Faith is not conjured up or thought up or forced up or imagined up or hoped up. Faith is built by hearing. It is strengthened by hearing the Word of God. So the more we can hear the Word of God, the greater the edge we're going to have in spiritual battle. And if you think you're not in a spiritual battle, then you really need to be here for this because we are in a spiritual battle and we need to have the edge in the battle. Even Jesus Christ knew the Word of God and quoted the Word of God to the devil. Well, where does that leave us? And that's how he won the battle. He just quoted the Scripture. You notice Jesus did not spend one microsecond arguing with the devil, debating with the devil. He just quoted the Word to him, quoted the Word. And so tonight we're going to go through the book of Jude, and uh, or we're sure going to start it. So let's, uh, let's stand together to read the first verse. Well, you know what? I don't have a verse up there first. I'm gonna, it's an introduction. So we're going to pray, and then I'm going to let you be seated father we just thank you right now that we are hungry for your word and we need the wisdom of god we need the word of god Lord. we need our faith increased we're in warfare and lord the enemy is seeking to bring down every home every marriage every single life to undermine them and weaken them but lord you are out to strengthen every christian home every marriage, every single life, every spiritual life represented here and listening by radio. And so, Lord, we pray that you will teach us. May the Holy Ghost of God, who is the great teacher of the church, illuminate our hearts, open our understanding, give us wisdom in your word. Now, would you breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to save my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let's, uh, I'm going to begin just by giving you an introduction to the book. I want you to know the Bible. I want you to understand where these letters came from that are very old, a couple of th- a thousand years old, and uh, yet uh, they are the inspired Word of God. Let's remember, Second Timothy 3.16 tells us, all scripture is given by theonoustos the breathing out of god god spoke and gave us these words all scripture is given by inspiration of god and all scripture is profitable even leviticus and even the begat so and so begat so and so who begat so and so somehow somewhere that's profitable so tonight Let's just begin and learn about Jude. Amen? Everybody say, hey Jude. hey Jude. There we go. According to the testimony of the book itself, Jude was written by Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So since James was one of the brothers of Jesus, Jude was likewise one of his brothers, or we would say half-brothers because Jesus did not have Joseph as a father Jesus father was God but James and Jude were the half brothers of Jesus can you imagine that they grew up watching Jesus grow up watching him work with wood when they would get spanked and get in trouble they had to have said to themselves eventually how come he's never in trouble I mean do you ever think about that there had to be some sibling rivalry Because they did not work about to see, didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection, so here was Jesus, never sinning, so he had to be the goody-two-shoes of the family, you know, he had to be. So let's let's read what it says in Matthew 13:55. It identifies Jude. It says, "Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and who, Judas?" Which is And Jude is for short. And of course, they did away with Judas after Iscariot because of the um, stigma that went along with that name. But Judas was Jude. Six other Judes or Judases are found in the New Testament, but the writer of Jude is not to be confused with any of them. Now, Jude was not an apostle, which is why the title of apostle found in other epistles is not used in the book of Jude. He doesn't refer to himself as an apostle yet he wrote one of the the inspired letters. Virtually nothing is known about the life of Jude. He's really kind of a mystery, y'all. He no doubt along with his other siblings believed on the deity of Jesus only after the resurrection. Unlike first John and James and others, the place of Jude's composition, that is where he was geographically, and its destination, who he was sending it to. They're both unknown. We don't know where he was when he wrote it, and we don't know who he was sending it to. But God knew. Amen? It was likely written somewhere around 75 A.D., which is a decade or so after John penned first John, and it's 15 years or so before the book of Revelation. You know that little book that was kind of controversial for a while there and now it's all faded away. I'm just kidding. Y'all have got to learn to smile a little bit. You're, you think I mean that? You're looking at me like, okay, look now, let's just read. As was First John that we just totally went through, the book of Jude was written to counterattack the inroads of apostasy and heresy within the churches. I'm amazed as I study the letters how many of them. Were written because of false teaching. False teaching. That's why they were written. Jude, 1 John, I mean, Colossians, Galatians. So many of the letters were written to counter false teaching. And Jude, woo, let me tell you something, Jude will, is going to blister the false teachers. He is going to excoriate them. He is going, he, he is not out to win friends he's gonna let him have it you remember I told you about first John punches you with a velvet glove Jude takes the glove off and puts on a lead glove okay Jude points to examples of defection from God in the Old Testament such as that of the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt angelic beings during the days of Noah and the well-known apostasy of Sodom and Gomorrah. He mentions all of those, and we're gonna look at those because it's deep stuff, folks, and we need to understand it. it this stuff, when we get into it, it's gonna blow your mind. It's really, really deep and powerful stuff. One commentator writes that Jude's style is broken and ragged, bold and picturesque, energetic, vehement, glowing with the fires of passion. I kind of picture John, John would work great. As he, he would have fit right into some of our churches today by coming out wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I picture John this way. He was easygoing, laid back. He could have walked out with those those Hawaiian shirts on and just taught you. If Jude walked in, he would blister you. He was a preacher. He was fiery red hot. Jude stands alone among all other New Testament letters in its uniqueness. It doesn't have any parallels. Jude has no parallels. Nowhere else do we find presented so many strange phenomena or have so many curious questions raised. The ancient Christian teacher, Origen, said, Jude wrote an epistle consisting of few lines but filled with the vigorous words of heavenly grace. It's only one chapter. You don't say Jude chapter 2. You say Jude verse whatever. it's only one chapter, but it cooks. Amen. Jude's language is extremely stern toward heretics. He forcefully condemns the false teachers of his day. He denounces them. He threatens them rather than refuting them. He just basically says, turn or burn. He's, he's really rough. He closes out his letter with comfort to Christians by reminding them of their first duty, which was to build themselves up in the most holy faith and to wait patiently for the return of Christ. Amen. And that's what we ought to be doing, building ourselves up in the faith and waiting for the return of Christ. Although Jude's letter addresses conditions that existed in his time, the scope of the book covers conditions at the end of the gospel age, which I believe is our day, and thus has an appropriate position right smack dab in front of the book of Revelation. Jude, Revelation. Now I just put together a little brief outline, and let's just go through it. And and I'm going to do with this book what I did with 1 John. I'm going to go ahead and write a little booklet on it and get it out to you probably sometime towards the end of the uh, series. I'm not going to give it all to you now because I don't have it all now. But here we go. A brief outline. First two verses, the introduction, and that's what we're covering tonight. The reason for the letter. What is it, everybody? What's the reason? Apostasy. A turning from the truth. A turning from the faith once delivered to the saints. That's the way Jude phrases it. He says, you ought to… He's speaking to the believers. He says, you ought to be fighting earnestly, contending for the faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. All right? So, there was an apostasy going on. And then he gives three historical examples of of apostasy, verses 5 through 7. Let's read them together, can we? The apostasy of Israel, the apostasy of angels, and the apostasy of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's 5, 6, and 7. Then verses 8 through 13, he describes false teachers. And man, is it, is it, uh, it leaves you word pictures that you never forget. And it's really powerful when you get to it. But now, then the book goes on, verses 14 through 19. De- let's read it together. Declarations of God's judgment of the wicked. I mean, when we get out of Jude, there's going to be no question that God is going to answer wickedness with judgment. There is a judgment coming. Don't ever let anyone tell you there's not. Jude, among others, and, and, and the closest thing to Jude, you'll notice, is 2 Peter. Jude, The closest thing to it is 2 Peter, but Jude is very unique. But like Peter, Jude's going to let us know beyond all doubt there's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming. And it's going to come on the wicked as surely as we sit here tonight. Then Verses 20 to 23, he brings encouragement of true believers and their full duty to Christ. And here's our duty, edification and prayer in the Holy Spirit, preservation in the love of God and expectation of divine mercy, and exhortation to what? Soul winning, 100 guitars of praise. Any way you can win souls. All believers are exhorted to be soul winners. Soul winners. Now, then, he gives in verses 24 to 25 the conclusion, the benediction. All right, is everybody ready to begin in Jude? All right, verse one. Let's read verse one together. Can we? Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And by the way, when I read about James here, it's the book of James was written by this James. The book of James was written by the half brother of Jesus, James, and James was the what we would call today the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church. That first great church. That was James, and that's this James, okay? Now, let's talk about Jude's name for a minute. The author's name in Greek is Judas. This Judas was a brother of James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and he's named among the brethren of the Lord Jesus. Now let's just, what does that mean? This makes him a brother of the Lord Jesus in the family of Joseph and Mary. You'll notice when you look at Jude, the book of Jude, in humility, Jude shrinks from emphasizing a distinction to which none of the other disciples or apostles could have a claim, He doesn't strut that he's the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus. and I'll tell you why I don't think that he does, because they persecuted Jesus until the resurrection. They didn't even believe in him. They gave Jesus a hard time, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. They they made fun of him and mocked him. You can find this in the book of John. So it's it's sort of like, wow, you know, after all that trouble I gave him, I realized after he was resurrected that he was the son of God, and now what, what am I? I'm a bond servant. I'm a bond servant of my brother. That's what well, I don't want to jump ahead, but that's so powerful to me. Servant is the Greek word doulos. And it, it means a bond slave. If you talked about a slave in the New Testament, you use the word doulos. Okay? He does not call himself an apostle as do Paul and Peter in their introductions, in John's Gospel we are told in John 7 verse 5, can you read it with me? For even his own brothers did not believe in him and Jude was among them. Jude was among them. And they stood outside a place where Jesus was teaching with Mary and made fun of him while he was on the inside teaching and performing miracles. So don't you know, he had to eat some warm crow when he finally got saved amen it's one of the more powerful testimonies of the truth of Jesus as the son of God that his own half-brothers both James and Jude called him the Christ wow I read that I started thinking about that you know he's either insane Jesus and what he said about himself or he is the son of god and if he's the son of god can you just imagine the power of having grown up with him and then realizing oh my that's why he was never in trouble that's why he never got whipped that's why he was always straight laced he was the son of god and to end up calling him my lord and christ and saying i'm nothing but his due loss his slave that is one of the greatest testimonies to me of the reality of Jesus as the Son of God he's just his humble bond slave following the resurrection of Jesus Christ now the best Greek texts have the word agapao or love instead of sanctified and so um, and what I'm referring to there is when he says those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, the best manuscripts, what we call extant manuscripts that we've got available to us today, don't use sanctified, they use love. So I'm just going to go to that and just say love. So the way it really reads is to those who are called loved by God the Father, loved by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? So say with me loved. All right. Now, love is in the perfect tense which speaks of a past act having permanent results how many of you in here are married all right you remember when you said i do and you slipped that ring on uh, uh, that ring on the finger <laughs> ringer <around>. on <laughs> you put that ring on your spouse's finger now now if we were using or referring to that that time your wedding we would use the perfect tense because you put the ring on your spouse's finger and that was an act that happened in the past but how many of you that are married could say it's still having results today Amen. you better say it <laughs> not me pastor Jeff i have outgrown it I, you gotta get where I'm going now <laughs> I'm just trying to show you what the perfect tense is So, so when the perfect tense is is used in the Greek language, he's saying something happened back there, but it's still affecting you today. Now, love is in the perfect tense to those loved by God the Father. It means that we, the saints, are the permanent objects of God's love. He didn't love us back then and walk away he loved us back then and how many of you can say he's still loving me today Amen. so that love impacted you back then but it's still impacting you today and guess what it's forever God. so we are the permanent objects of God's love including throughout all eternity all eternity that's a long time One trillion years from now, we're going to be going, wow, trillions of years ago, he loved me and it's still impacting me. He loves me still. He wants us to understand God's love is permanent, it's not a temporary flighty thing, it's permanent. So, Jude is writing to those who have been loved by God the Father and who are the objects of His eternal undying love. Can we say thank you, God? We're, we're recipients of eternal love. Praise God. And guess what? When you mess up, He doesn't say, well, it's been real. See you later and walk away. He loves you. He's got you written on the palm of his hand. You are tattooed on the palm of God's hand. He's never going to walk away from you. He's not ever going to forsake you. He can't because he just told us his love is forever. Hallelujah. Now, preserved, I like that word. How many of you like the word preserved? I love that word because he says now, he says to those who are called, loved by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. All right? It's the word toreo, and here's what it means: to guard, to hold firmly, to watch or to keep. It expresses possession of what is being guarded. When he uses the word preserve, he says God is not only guarding you, but you are his possession, and that's why he's guarding you. You are God's possession. You were purchased not with American dollars not with Chinese yen, not any of those things. You were purchased with the only currency that could buy you and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And now that that blood purchased you and ransomed you, you are his possession and he's guarding his own possession. He's preserving you. And what I like about I just love the perfect tense in the Greek because uh, uh, it's... Preserved is also in the perfect tense, meaning that we are in God the Father's permanent watchful care. Like a parent carefully watches his or her children in a crowded store, God never lets us out of his sight. He's watching you day and night. He has insomnia. When you go to sleep, he doesn't. When you wake up in the morning, he's watched you all night long. He is watching over you and guarding you because you're his bought, purchased possession. Now, when I read that, it says this to me. There must be something after us or he wouldn't be having to guard us. And that is the enemy of our soul. He's always looking for a way to get at us. But God says, I'm guarding you because I bought you. I'm guarding you, watching over you. My eyes peeled on you. You're never out of my sight, never out of my care. I'm watching you. That's comforting. In Jesus Christ, now look what it says. You are preserved... In Jesus Christ. That means that God is keeping us guarded for Jesus Christ. Do you know that a lot of what happens to you in your Christian lives, as a matter of fact, just about everything God does for you, He does it because of Jesus. He does it because of Jesus. You say, well, doesn't He love me? Yes, He loves you and He loves me. But He's honoring what the Son did, His death, His resurrection giving his life so when god answers your prayer he does it for jesus when god heals you he does it for jesus when god gives you wisdom he does it for jesus when he guides you along the way he does it for jesus that's what he's telling us right here you are preserved not in but for jesus christ look what jesus prayed in john seventeen eleven. can we read it together holy father guard them guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift how through me so they can be one heart and mine now how many of you think that Jesus ever prayed a prayer that God did not answer no every prayer he prayed he got it because he prayed according to the will of God being God and so Jesus right here prays father guard them guard them now i have given them the life that you sent me to give them now guard them you know what god said yea and amen through jesus christ and so why does god guard us he's answering jesus prayer so it's not dependent on our perfection it's dependent on the prayer of jesus so he's guarding you in answer to jesus prayer amen Jesus committed we Christians into the watchful care of God the Father. And he in turn is keeping and guarding us that we might forever be the possession of the Lord Jesus. Now the word called, that, that's the first word in the verse, and let me just read it again quickly. He says, To those who are called, loved by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. I want to deal with called last because I love this word. How many of you believe you're called? Amen. How many of you believe you're called? Now, what does it mean when he says called? It's from a Greek word meaning to be invited as to a banquet. Now, here's what he's referring to. He's referring to God's calling the sinner to salvation. And do you know that when he called you to salvation, he was calling you to a banquet? Do you know that one day in heaven, you're going to sit down at at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Jesus didn't call you to misery and suffering. He called you to a banquet. Say with me, I'm called called. to a banquet. banquet. Can you look at your neighbor and tell them that's good news? What would you do tonight if you went home and there was a letter in your mailbox from Donald Trump? And it said, somebody told me about you. I'm inviting you to a banquet I'm holding in Trump Tower in New York City. Would you consider coming if I paid your jet fare and whisked you there and put you in Trump Tower in a room and brought you to that banquet? Would you consider coming? How many of you might consider that? The rest of you are just need to pull your head out of your shoulders now watch we would go wow what a thing to be invited to that can't even hold a distant candle to what we have been invited to when we were called you know amen see when we heard the gospel we were being summoned not just to be saved but to a banquet to a fullness to an abundance in life not available to people who don't answer the call so called jude is talking about the pre salvation work of the holy spirit in which he brings the sinner to the place of repentance and the subsequent placing of his faith in jesus christ as his savior that's called Last Friday night, we, or Saturday night, we were uh, in Mesquite, had 1,750 people show up, and I just stood up and shared the gospel, and I called them. I'm not calling them to be religious. I'm not calling them to be Bible thumpers or to be weird. I'm calling them to a banquet. If you knew that, you'd get saved quick. All right, let's move on. Let's read the expanded translation, can we? Jude, a bond slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who by God the Father have been loved and are in a state of being the permanent objects of His love and who for Jesus Christ have been guarded and are in a permanent state of being carefully watched to those who are called ones. Hallelujah. Isn't that good stuff? Give the Lord a hand. That's all right. Now, you know, I'm glad he's being so nice to us believers, because when he turns to the heretics, all this goodness turns the other direction. But let's read now. Can you read verse 2 with me? Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, when you hear the word mercy, it's in the Bible everywhere. Mercy is the gift of God poured out on us to relieve us of the misery that has come upon us as a result of sin. You remember in Hebrews where it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain what? Mercy Mercy, and find grace to help us in the time of need. All right, there's the two words we're going to be dealing with, mercy and grace. What does mercy mean? When God extends mercy, it is to the suffering and usually to those who are suffering as a result of sin. And he sends his mercy. Now, let's look at it mercy is the gift of God poured out on us to relieve us of the the misery that has come upon us as a result of sin it's different from grace grace is what God extends when he freely forgives us that's grace by grace you have been saved through faith Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 by grace by God's free forgiveness you have been saved all right Mercy, on the other hand, is what he extends to heal us of the suffering resulting from our sin. Now, watch this carefully. In our salvation, grace, which is forgiveness, grace must come before mercy because we must settle the sin issue before mercy can be poured out. Do you know that? See, in the divine order of things, God sends grace before mercy, and he approaches us about sin. He says, let me tell you something. I want to have mercy on you. I want to heal you. I want to make you whole. But I can't do it. I can't really bless you unless you take care of the sin issue. You got to take care of your sin. And the moment that I have forgiven you and you're clear with me, behind that is going to come mercy. And I'm going to show this to you. So say with me grace is first, grace is first. Mercy, follows. mercy follows you see God's holiness demands folks that the guilt should be done away with before the misery can be relieved only the forgiven can be blessed have you ever noticed that you know you can I've seen people come into healing lines in suffering I've had distinct experiences in healing lines for instance with people holding unforgiveness and bitterness towards others one time I was going down a healing line and I was anointing people with oil and praying for them and I came to this one woman and I went to anoint her with oil and the Holy Spirit said don't I said why not and he said because she has not forgiven and until she forgives I can't heal her I send my grace free forgiveness and then I send my mercy So I leaned into her and I said, ma'am, are you holding anything against anyone? And she said, yes, I am. And she told me. And I said, God can't heal you until you forgive. And here's what she said to me, I can't forgive. And I said, then he can't heal. And I moved on. I don't know what happened to her. But grace precedes mercy. You get your heart clear with God and wham, comes the mercy. And he starts ministering to you to relieve you of the suffering that is there because of sin. But you got to repent. When you call people down to come to Jesus, it's not just to make a decision. It has to be repentance. And that's a beautiful six-letter word, repent. Because repent opens the door for mercy. And until you repent, there's no mercy because because this is the way God's— Universe is set up. Let me just show you something. It's very interesting. Notice the order of words in the following salutations or the greetings found in the beginning of Paul's letters. 1 Corinthians 1 3. Can we read it together? Grace to you and peace. Yeah, I could put it this way grace to you, then peace. Grace to you, then peace. Because when you make peace with God, you receive the peace of God. But no grace, there's no peace. All right? Uh, and look at, he says, grace to you and peace, relief from suffering as a result of sin, will come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 2. Can you read it with me? Grace to you and then peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.3, it's the same thing. Let's read it. Grace to you, then peace from the the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.2, exactly the same greeting. Grace to you and peace from the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians begins exactly the same way. Then you come down to 1 Timothy 1.2, read this one with me, would you? Grace, then mercy, and then peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the divine trilogy, all right? Here's the divine trilogy. Grace followed by mercy followed by peace. Grace, I repent, free forgiveness. Mercy poured out on my suffering. Peace as a result. That's the divine trilogy. In the divine order of things, we never hear God say, peace and grace be to you. You don't find it. But always grace, first forgiveness, and mercy, which results in peace, be to you. There is no peace or relief from sin suffering until repentance and forgiveness have come. How many of you can testify that's true? Amen? I mean, until you repent, you're in misery. <laughs> until you repent, you in misery. Yeah. And then once you repent, ah, here comes the mercy. Hallelujah. All right, we're about done. Is everybody happy tonight? Yeah. All right. All right, peace. Peace is taken from the Greek word that means to join. To join. So peace means to join together that which has been separated. You could have warring spouses. You could have a marriage where they were separated. And then let them come to to God and repent for whatever different things uh, caused all of this and, and let peace come. Then once the peace comes, they're joined. Now, that's just a physical picture. They are joined together. Now, when you make peace with God, it brings a joining. The blood took your hand and God's hand and join them that's what the blood did that's what reconciliation is aren't you glad to be reconciled to God so Jesus through the blood of his cross has made peace between a holy God and sinful man and has joined the two back together who were separated by sin this rejoining brings tranquility to the believer now the word love is simple it's agape and that divine love which God is and which is shed abroad in the heart of the yielded saint so let's just read the translation together can we mercy to you and as a result may peace and love be multiplied amen let's stand together can we Well, next week, we're going to dive right into a different side of Jude than what you saw tonight, and it's really just the Holy Ghost. Aren't you glad to be on this side of the book of Jude than what we're about to get into? Ooh-hoo. So I want to encourage you, stay with this to the end. If you can possibly get here, get here, and bring somebody with you, because we need to understand the Word of God, folks. The more of the Word we get, the stronger we're going to be so let me just pray for you father i just thank you that lord you have given us grace and that grace came with repentance and when we repented free forgiveness from your throne came the throne of grace the throne of forgiveness and when we repented and were forgiven lord to our joy we began to experience the mercy of god as you began to heal our lives from what sin did and Lord following the mercy came peace because now we have made peace with God and therefore Lord by the laws of your universe you could put your peace in us and we receive that peace tonight we thank you for the incredible testimony of Jude who grew up next to the Son of God And yet later called him my Lord and my God, the Christ, the Messiah, and was his slave, his bond slave. We thank you for it. Help us to walk in this truth, keep our hearts clear that we might be a recipient of continual mercy and walk in your peace. If there's any unconfessed sin in our heart tonight, Lord, help us to get it out so that we can receive mercy and walk in peace in jesus name amen Amen. god bless you don't forget mother's day and we're continuing